What's up, guys? This is Producer, the podcast for producers. Today, we are joined by Turnian Sound. Producer. I like to start out with just a little fun question. This is something I ask all my guests on the long form podcast. What was your first concert that you attended? And we'll just we'll just go down the line. Um, so the first concert that I attended unwillingly was. Oh, that's always the best when was, you're taken hostage. Yeah, right. Was Warp Tour with my cousins, which I didn't want to go to, but I had a good time anyways. I was like 12. But the first con, the first thing that I went to on my own was a rave in 2005, at NCN where Infrasound used to be, and it was called Blue Shift Two. So that was the first like actual thing, like in my opinion. Music, it's the first thing. Period. Because I didn't really like music until I found, like, hardcore Gabber stuff. So, yeah. Yeah. DDR. Dude, I DDR. love DDR. And I'll just say, there's no shame in the Warp Tour answer, because that's actually a lot of people's answer. It's a lot of people's, it's a lot of people's first concert, so. Uh, first, like, legitimate show concert I went to when I was in junior high, my friend Luke, who was the bass guitar player in our crappy little punk band took me to see the Gigantour, which was a Megadeth show. <laughs> um, and it was, and it was like, um, it job for a cowboy was playing. It was incredible. We were scared to death and also so excited. Um, but yeah, death metal for me was like going right into just really heavy music. Real quick. Yeah. I mean, it was, that was like our, progression of what we were listening to it was like first this softer punk stuff and then metal and technical and then it just and then we went to the show and it was awesome so it's a great time the first show that i went to out of my own volition because i wanted to really and had the means finally i wasn't a child was rusco at the loft oh no way rusco so that was like either 2010 or 2009 i can't remember 2009 yep yep yeah, and so that obviously, I mean, that really, I was really into drum and bass before that. And then I was just getting into dubstep. I was like, I'm not quite sure who all these people are. And I saw that and like my life was changed, of course, because that was also like, what a moment to see Rusko too. It's so sick. Yeah, Rusko's a classic. Um, cool, good answers. No one got an F on that question. Um, you did good. Uh, one of the questions I wanted to ask you guys was, you guys have these pillars. Like when you got together, you wanted to have, you know, an aim. You wanted to have some pillars that you stand on as you move forward. And one of them was to play on good sound systems. And my question to you is, what is your favorite sound system you've had the good fortune to play on? Because there's a lot of bad ones. We could talk about the bad ones too, but. <laughs> I think my favorite system still to this day is that Danley system that we played on at that tiny Colorado festival in oh, yeah. like way out west. It was in the middle of a desert. Yeah, it was like, I can't remember what it was called. It was in the mountains. I don't know. But anyways, it was a Danley rig installed inside of like a pyramid with lights on it. And I like Danley a lot. It's the closest I've heard to like being in the studio. Like just really clean, clear. You could hear all the reverb tails. The low end was good. So it's okay. probably my favorite. Okay. 
This is really hard to pick like a number one favorite. I'm just get, I'm gonna be that I'm gonna be that guy and give you like just a couple at least. Um, huge fan of Sean Hennessy and the Intent Audio sound system. Absolutely, dude. <laughs> um, but yeah, Sean Intent Audio, great people, incredible sound. You know, custom built. Uh, infrasound, Function One main stage. Uh, shout out to Phil and Shana at Sound System Cultures LLC. We love them. They do an incredibly good job. And let's see, is there a number three? I mean, hey, I'm going to shout out the Element 5 team. That is actually on stage two tonight. We love playing their sound system as well. I was just going to bring up a quick story, but um, is it the first time we played Lunar Tide? Um, I think that was also the first time we played on HSD, yes. right? And... Uh, there was, the yeah. yeah, yeah, probably. Yeah. Okay, and um, it was one of the first times that I heard a specific note in one of our songs. I think it's Bargain Bins, goes down to this like low B or something like that. And I remember just like, I don't know if that mix is online, it might be, but I just wheeled it back and I was like, oh my God, I could hear the note or something like that. I was like geeking out. So anytime that we have a, a system that is good, but the engineer who can tune it really well, we're happy, honestly. For sure, for sure. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, I just wanted to quickly go over, because this is kind of like a two-part question, but you know, we got a we got a triad group here. And in a lot of ways, I think you guys have a big leg up on competition in the sense that you got six eyes, six ears, six hands. Uh, how many fingers is that? It's a lot. 30 fingers. Um, you know, like, yeah. We had to do math. Um, but like, do you guys feel like that that does give you the leg up? Obviously, you know, there's money involved with these things and that it gets spread out. But like, I just, I kind of wanted to just get into that because it's it's not normal or you don't see it that much that there's three people. I, I also have this thing, I played a lot of video games and me and my friend, we would always say, you need a fresh set of hands because we're trying to beat this thing you're getting overworked. You need a fresh set. So I just kind of wanted to hear what you guys thought and also maybe like the predominant roles between you guys. Just to jump off that fresh set of hands thing, um, I think the only way that, or the, the most obvious way that comes to mind for me is like playing a set. Um, it can be really nice to play a set by yourself because it's very easy to craft the story. But in other situations or with, with sets that are two hours or longer, or an unknown situation or one where you're kind of wrestling with the crowd a little bit, it's really nice to have at least one other person uh, to like help you in a flustered moment or like to come in and just crush it. So you're like, eh, they come in and crush it. The crowd's like butter. And then you're like, okay, I'll, I'll pick up the slack again or whatever, I'll come back in, you know? I know what to play now. Yeah, exactly. So it's like, um, those are the kind of situations where it can be really helpful. I, I would say it's probably just like, there's pros and cons, you know? And so we try to emphasize a lot of the pros and try to, I guess, de-emphasize or deal with the cons of having multiple member group. Yeah, and as far as continuing with like the live mixing component, um, we do all our own individual like playlisting for everything. And that keeps things really exciting for us because we get to surprise each other all the time. And that adds like a whole different element to playing together. Um, it's, it feels like it's riskier too, because I don't know what Andrew and Jack are gonna play. But when those moments happen, when the blends are just right for everybody, it really feels special. And it keeps us excited about what we're doing versus if it was just me, 
you know, playing like, I know this set really well, I'm going to play it at all our shows. It's never the same because there's three people. And then as far as the other part of your question too, with dividing up responsibilities, um, I don't know if we could be able to do the project at this level without the way that we divide everything up, everything from, you know, all the back end business stuff, um, accounting, social media, um, you know, our management and agency, as well as the three of us too. Like every, we try to stay really involved with all the background stuff too, because we like the control and to understand that the moves we're making are intentional and not just like letting someone else you know, book all the shows without thinking about it. Um, and even with our writing process, Jack and I handle a lot of the touring, you know, traveling and going out and playing shows. Andrew stays home more, so then he actually takes more uh, responsibility for the writing and finishing tunes and mastering for us as well. Um, there's a lot that goes into it, so I'll pass the mic to Jack now. Yeah, I think the only real cons are that money gets split three ways. So we get paid the same amount as every other act that's the same size of us who can sell the same amount of tickets, but there's three of us. So you divide that money all by three, which can cause, I mean, you know, someone else at our, our scale, I think, would be in a better place financially. Uh, then they might be paying someone. They will pay someone to do some stuff though, which is one thing, yes, totally. Um, and then the expenses can be higher too. So like with flying and stuff, it's it's hard to get all three of us to the other side of the country sometimes because flights will cost too much. Or if it's in like a small town that doesn't have a big airport, um, getting all three of us could cost like, you know, well into a thousand or more dollars, you know, so uh, we have to balance that. And we did, but the, the nice thing is that we can split up the dates, so like, you know, Andrew stays at home a lot, Eric and I take a lot of the dates, but then sometimes we split stuff up and do stuff solo. So like we all get breaks, we don't have to tour as hard as individuals. Um, yeah. Group tours a lot. Sure. For sure. Well, I feel blessed that we got all three of you here today. That's awesome. I know it's not always like that. Um, I also just wanted to ask, um, you know, you got other iconic three-person duos. We got Noisia. I feel like that must be a big influence. Okay. But also, I wanted to ask, out of Skrillex, Fred again, and Fortet, which one of you... <laughs> Which one of you is most likely to play country rhythm in a set? Probably me, I don't know. Probably me. I, I have been playing some rhythm in our sets <laughs> occasionally. And then like I'll pull out some of the classics and like depending on how tonight goes, maybe I'll play some of my old nostalgia days stuff, which is just super loud compared to what we do now, you know. But like trying to find the tasteful ones, you know. We don't play as many joke tracks. I think the closest thing we played to like a joke or a surprise track lately was the Limp Biscuit the Limp Biscuit flip. Yeah. And the thing about that song is it's just so good. It's really hard not to play it. Yeah. Yeah, like it doesn't disappoint. Okay. Okay, cool. Uh I also just briefly want to talk about your album because it's it's a really cool project. 26 songs. That's a lot of songs. I feel like that probably goes into the division of labor. Yeah. But I also liked how you guys made it so it mixes into one another. And I kind of wanted to ask about how, is it harder since you've already pre-mixed it into an album to DJ then? Like, does it get kind of... Well, all of the tunes, 
there's two versions of all the tunes. So there's the album version, which is mixed, and then there's the extended cuts, which is what we have for DJing. And it's also, you can buy it on Bandcamp if you go purchase the album. And I, yeah, and I believe on Beatport and Juno, if they're up there, because the way that we wanted it was that anywhere where you listen to music, like streaming services, where it's primarily designed for listeners, we wanted that to be mixed because with dubstep, it's meant to be mixed. It's for DJs. It's for live environments. It's not really meant to be listened to a single track on its own. The intros are kind of boring. It's just a hi-hat and a pad because it's just for the DJ to hear. It's yeah, not necessarily for anyone else to hear. But then we wanted then, because of that, to have the DJable tunes, the extended cuts on the platforms where DJs go to buy music. So like Bandcamp, Juno, Bport, et cetera, stuff like yeah. that. So we're, we're able to DJ all of them because we use the extended versions. And then we have been playing them too for years before the album came out. They were just unreleased ups that would be in our sets, so. For sure. Yep. For sure. I'm sorry you got like a wobbly chair here, by <laughs> the way. Chair. Yeah, it's kind of, it's like a rocking chair. chair. We actually planned that. Um, I also, this is just like a naive question. Um, when it comes to like dubs that people put out on SoundCloud, you know, it's like a minute, 20, little sampler. And I feel sad sometimes because I can't get the full track. Uh, you know, I'm just curious what you guys think of that and like what the the real game plan for DJs is for doing that. Like, do they do they end up releasing the full version or is it just that you want to, you, you have to go see the full set? You want to start? I want to start this question, yes. Uh, SoundCloud dubs. Getting exclusive music from people is all about building trust and relationships with them. Um, unless, of course, maybe it also reminds me of years ago when I would just send, you know, Crowell or Bomber, one of these guys, just buy them from them directly. But that's not so much. We don't do any of that. It's a lot more about does this person trust me enough to know that I'm not going to leak this tune or give it to someone or put it up for free somewhere? Um, so it's kind of, you know, are you out and active and playing shows and you can kind of show this person without telling them that you can trust me and I'm legitimate. What do you want to say about dubs? Well, I think there's a lot to be dove into about the differences between club nights, DJing, concerts, rock music, all this kind of stuff. And like when I got really into music, I've always been into music, but it was like piano and rock for a long time. When I got into electronic music, I mean, it was just the freshness is so exciting. And like listening to a mix and hearing something that blows your mind, you have no clue where it is and you just gotta find it and stuff like that. You gotta go back to that mix. Yeah, exactly, you gotta go back to that mix. Um, and, and going to shows, I, I started to only go to electronic shows for so long, I kind of forgot what it was like to go to other shows. And then when you re-interface with someone who's like into rock music or something, you're like, I know every song they're gonna play and I'm so excited and I sing along and it's so different than like what we do. We want to like showcase fresh stuff. We're also improvising and reacting to the room, you know? So it's just like a completely different way of thinking about things. And like for a while, I was so confused at why people would ever go to a show where they knew what the music was going to be. Like, why would you go see a rock band? You know all these songs, what's the point? You know, so I went so far this way and now I can just see it's just different strokes or whatever. But like, I love the dubs game. I absolutely love it. And even if I don't get a dub, it like really hurts, of course. You really <laughs> want it, but that's part of the fun, you know, and like some versions of tunes, like I'll, I'll look for old mix rips from like 
I mean, even the 90s or something like that, but like I'll find the version one of a track that someone made that literally doesn't exist anymore, you know? And then you can collect that little piece. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know Jack wants to say something about that. I was just going to say that the whole concept of the dubs game, if you think about it historically too, coming from Jamaica where they were they were importing, you know, dub DJs, reggae DJs way back in like the 50s even 60s era. They're importing music from the states and oftentimes there was like a lot of competition between different DJs and sound systems. So they wanted to have the most exclusive music coming in. And if they had access to the shipments that were coming, they would actually, sometimes some of them would like take a bunch of copies of a record so no one else could have it. Then they'd scrape off the label so no one could know what it was, who it was by, what it was called or anything like that. So that they would have this exclusive track that nobody else had. And then you had to go see them to hear it and then through that they would get you know like uh an exclusivity built for themselves um and then that turned you know that turned into a whole thing and then the early like yeah like you've got like the jungle scene in the 90s was there's a lot of dubs there's still dubs from jungle music in the 90s that have never come out because only select people got them because they were only cut to like a few acetate records distributed and then whatever the dat tape is probably gone. Um, and then, yeah, eventually, obviously, it evolved to like SoundCloud where it's like you're uploading that one minute clip so you can say, hey, look at what I have. Uh, and only I have this and like maybe my close friends who I trust. Um, but if you want to hear it, you have to come to the show. And I think that's like a big part of our music and even talking about the album the theory with it is that it's made for dancing it's made for dance floors and shows and the whole point is for you to come out and experience it live and adding the dubs game element and the exclusivity and all of this kind of like meta narrative and meta game to it kind of adds to the experience for both the musicians and like the really dedicated consumers and fans who like kind of stay abreast of that stuff in general it's like the teaser track you know it's like the teaser uh for the new movie that's coming out uh just to stick on this for a sec i'm just curious when you're going about like uh talking to people about a dub that they've made and you want to get the full version what's like good etiquette is it just knowing them like knowing them just knowing them is a good thing to be like yo you guys trust i mean you guys talked about trust a lot yeah um so it is a tricky minefield. You definitely don't want to like bother someone really bad. Like you have to kind of play a little bit of a, like a, can I have this game? But I think if you're up and coming and you're a producer, it's really valuable to have dubs because you're trade. playing them at your shows or whatever. So trade. So we always try to push and sometimes it doesn't happen, but like you want to give one and get one if you can. Um, but again, it's like some people are best off and they send you their worst. Or that just came out already and you're like, oh, I, I could have bought this student. Yeah, so it, it's a little bit of this like kind of pissing contest or something. Like, are you on my level sort of game, which is all mental and whatever. But like, if you're obviously, if you're homies, if you built trust, if you're playing good shows and you have good music, the easiest way to get dubs is to have really good dubs of your own, you know? And then 
if you've got a hot track everybody wants, suddenly the doors have just opened and yeah. everybody's sending you tracks because they want your track, you know? So what's kind of nice about that is like to, to take from the scene, you've given to the scene in a way, you know? Yeah. So that's kind of nice. It's kind of like a trading card, it reminds exactly. me of. Like I got my dub trading card. Holographic. Yeah, I got that holographic Charizard. <laughs> Thank you for bringing that down because I've always been confused about that. One thing I wanted to ask you guys about because I saw this on some of your tracks and you guys also played a live set. Um, I'm forgetting where it was, but it was in this like triangle, like infrasound pyramid. Infrasound pyramid. You guys played a UKG set. Yeah. And uh, I just wanted to talk about like bass music, UKG, and the crossover, and just like how you guys feel about the sound. For us, a big part of what we're trying to do is, I, I say we're like looking back to look forward. So, I, as me personally, especially I know I listen to like a lot of older electronic music because I think that there's like various eras. You know, it's been around since the 80s, and there's a lot of eras that have came and gone and are lost to time, like people have just forgotten about. And <clears throat> people forget about it oftentimes because it's not being categorized, it's not being continued to be shown to people. Um, so you kind of have to be, in a sense, like a librarian, still like continuing, an like an archivist, still continuing to show people this old stuff and keeping it relevant in the fold. And I think there's a lot of interesting ideas that were kind of left behind. And with UKG, um, UK Garage, for anyone who doesn't know. Garage. Uh, garage, yeah. I, I say garage because I'm from Minnesota. No, 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 I, I say garage too. Yeah, right, right, right. Right, like right, right. And we, Americans invented it. I will die on this hill. But uh, no, well, the Brits turned it into what it is. You know, but we, garage was an American genre. It's a whole thing. Okay. Go, um, go yeah, yeah, yeah. But the thing with UKG and with a lot of the bass music scene now is so many of the kids that go to shows now, 18 to 22 years old, their first shows were in like maybe the late 2010s or the mid 2010s. And their entire concept of bass music is like Datsik, Excision, Bass Nectar, Flux Pavilion, Skrillex, et cetera, et cetera. And maybe they have a little bit of knowledge of like the kind of dubstep that we do through like Rusko or like Benga or Scream or something. But then that's where it kind of stops. The line for a lot of people stops at like 2008 to 2010. But one thing a lot of people don't realize is that even before 2008, there's six years of dubstep history, which is, you know, a lot of the halftime stuff starts in like 05, 04. But prior to that, there was like this time where it was in between what it is now and UKG because it was like a response to the garage scene basically becoming very commercialized, very poppy, very like popping bottles in the club, drinking champagne, all the girls are, you know, wearing a bunch of white and stuff. And um, yeah. It's just very bottle servicey, I think. And so it's like a reaction to that becoming darker and becoming more, I guess, serious. I don't know. There's some problems with that reaction, I think, but that's where it all comes from. Um, and I think that remembering that history to give context to everything that's going on now so that we understand why we're here and why things sound the way they are and like the different aspects of the culture are the way that they are is super important so yeah it's a lot 
something people might find interesting too, just about right now, this moment, is that swing is back. And when dubstep was like invented, it was like using house and swingy loops, you know, and that kind of like probably MPC swing or something like that. And Benga. Benga. yeah, Benga, uh, yeah, if you want to research it and really learn it, he's the one. But um, so, and then we kind of got really, really stompy and straight timey during those like 2010s eras and stuff like that with the tear out. And now swings become really cool. And I'd say like probably the top of that right now is Hamdi, right? Like Hamdi with Skanka and all that stuff or whatever, like it's just very obvious. Yeah, yeah. And here he is right now. <laughs> but um, so it's really been interesting to hear the swing come back because it's technically an old school way of doing it, but it's so dancey. So that's like a really cool, like, you know, how everything goes in a circle. Like, it's just kind of like coming back around again. Now that we're taking those rhythms back again, which is really cool. Yeah, no, that is, that is really cool. Oh, balloon, balloon down. Balloon. No guns. Uh, okay, sorry, that threw me off. <laughs> That threw me off, I'm not gonna lie. I had a question and it just popped. Uh, well, okay, thank you for giving us a little bit of an education on UKF. I was also thinking when you were talking about it, like when I got into this, like UKF was big and I remember Burial had that Archangel album and like yeah. that's that's kind of UKF-y and then also, but it's UKG. like, like U, I'm sorry, yeah. UKG. Uh, Future Garage Future Garage is what they were calling it at the yeah. time. But it, and it was like that hyper dub era, but it literally yeah. sounded like a washing machine off its kilter, like He didn't write using a grid. Yeah, he used like, uh, like basically audacity. Yeah, yeah, I heard about that. You know, this is a great way to segue into the next question, which is another one of your pillars is education. And I just wanted to touch a little bit about how you, you know, think about when you're going to educate someone with this music. How do you go about doing that? And obviously right now we're doing some of that, but uh, through like a DJ set or, yeah. I felt like I would just start this off is, um you know, I'm an educator, I do a lot of private lessons and stuff like that, but I think we are always hoping that our audience has the most like enriched experience possible. And I think we've just learned that when you can learn a lot about the roots and the history and like the context of everything that's going on, which takes time, it takes a long time. And some people just don't have that time. Some people are just gonna be like a fan, they're gonna pop in and go, that's cool. But you're gonna have a much deeper and more rewarding experience the more you know about what's going on. Not to mention, you'll catch the tricks that either we put in our tracks or our DJ sets. Like you'll get the inside jokes, you'll get all the moments and stuff like that. Um, so I think I like to lean into that a little bit as like, why would any like DJ group have education when we're not like doing regular tutorials or anything like that? Like, what do you mean about education? It's just about having a more enriched experience more more context clues and stuff like that i think one thing that we really try to be consistent at is just being fully transparent about everything that we're doing um i know personally i've always had so many questions for artists that i admired a lot whether it was you know business stuff or production or djing or any of that but we are always trying to just be open in places like this when we're interviewing and also just in person, you know, we're just people. We're just a couple of corn-fed boys from Minnesota. And, uh, you know, come ask us a question. We'd love to tell you about anything. So it's um, it's always really fulfilling to be able to talk about what 
you know, we do is really like and how we do it and why we do it as well. Um, that just feels like it's trying to help people understand, um, you know, our intentions behind everything and, and what it takes to do the stuff that we're doing as well. Yeah, I think one of the other things, reasons why it's important, in my opinion, to educate people and then for people to know about the history of what they're listening to is that, um, say like if you're on Twitter, right, there's a lot of discourse, there's a lot of scene drama, there's a lot of problems, everyone's always got some kind of problem. And a lot of the stuff that's going on, I don't think people realize is problems that have been solved hundreds and hundreds yeah, of times yeah, historically, agree, yeah. you know? And if your frame of reference is purely in this moment in the last like couple of years, you might not even realize that the thing that you're dealing with has been solved, you know, by someone else before in the past. And, <clears throat> you know, a lot of people I think have this mindset where they're like, okay, this is just the way things are and they look at the world in its current state and they believe almost that it's like human nature for things to be exactly as the way they are now but if you look historically and you educate yourself a little bit you can see humanity in various ways not just in the music scene but you know in every other way in life has organized itself into a multitude of different systems and ways of working so any system that we're currently in isn't necessarily like just the way that it is you know what i'm saying so i think that history and education is a way of deconstructing and critically looking at systems and saying like does it really need to fucking be this way or can we tweak it in some way has it been a different way in the past is this something that it's always been is it something that's malleable and changeable and how can we make it better going forward in the future and I think that's kind of like a dialectical process, to use a term from philosophy, where you kind of chisel away at the bullshit over the course of history. And honestly, yeah. dialectical meaning two people, and we're doing four right now. I mean, it's, uh, you can still get points across with four people. But uh, yeah, dude, I, um, I really appreciate you guys for saying that because uh, something we try to do here with the podcast is definitely educate people like uh get them to understand a little bit more about the music that they're listening to so i really appreciate you guys shedding some light on the different topics that we've uh gone over and uh yeah i mean this is probably a great place to stop i feel like we've been going for a little bit i know you guys are on a little bit of a time crunch uh i just wanted to thank you guys again are we still good are we still i have like i could do like one more question do we have uh time for one more yeah can do one more yeah one more question okay cool well i just wanted this is just a pretty blanket question but uh you know who are some guys right now you guys mentioned hamdi uh you know you guys are also mentioning banga but koki koki's fire too that fucking song with the squid <laughs> you know what i'm talking about uh who are some guys right now who are just uh you, you guys look up to and and think that they're doing a really good job I'm on fire for Chesco right now, who just released his, uh, I think it's a three or four track EP on 1985 last weekend. Uh, he's Italian. Man, there's so many, honestly. Um, a bunch of our friends, Bucus Finest, he's got a new rhythm project, if you're into that. Find Buster. Um, Kurza, good homie, he's got a collaborative project called S Merc. 
Uh, there's, I mean, Anna Morgan downstairs. We love Dr. Jeep for some techno and jungle flavors. Uh, my boy Tunic out here is like a young Whittler, also the Whittler, the dawn of the states, the educator of American deep dubstep. Um, yeah, you guys have any, anybody you want to shout out right now? Simula. Simula, drum and bass, absolutely sick. Uh, I've been really, really into the modern, like, uh, jungle movement that's kind of taking, picking up where the 90s left off with jungle music. Um, so a record label is uh, Future Retro, I think it's called. It's Tim Reaper's record label is really good. I've been really into lately. Tim Reaper's really good. And then Sully, um, not the American Sully, the dubstep guy. Same spelling. spelling, though, but he's a jungle guy from the UK. He makes really forward thinking, like modern jungle. Um, and Coco Bryce is also really, really good. He yeah so those guys jungle is a huge inspiration for us lately and uh just because of the different percussive rhythms and stuff you can do with it so yeah i got a few more if you don't mind yeah, yeah. i got i have this is like my favorite part of it too um got a shout out distinct motive <laughs> yes distinct motive a homie from canada always slaying tunes uh die by the sword DMVU, Chicago homie, now he's in Denver. Um, what was the other one that I was just going to say? Oh, my God, I'm absolutely blanking on this. I mean, I try and get everybody on Selects. Speaking of which, self-plug, if you want us to play your music, turningsounddubs at gmail.com. I'm always trying to find new and upcoming tunes and artists, so we would love to listen to what you are making. I remembered Truant. His Rinse FM mixes are absolute butter he's really into that uh swing kind of stuff that we were just talking about as well as playing techno stuff um left low rare man sedan a lot of these like minimal swing guys we love what they're putting out they i mean anybody from bristol for god's sake it's just there's something in the water in bristol where they just poop excellence so yeah that's it for now i suppose okay all right all right well that was quite the list. Um, just really quick, where uh, can people find you guys? Uh, and where can people find you guys next, like on a tour? Like just a sh little plug real quick. Uh, if you want to find us on the internet, Instagram, Turny and Sound, Twitter, Turny and Sound, the usual places, Spotify, SoundCloud, whatever. Um, as far as tour, I don't know when this will go this up, but OK. Two weeks from now is we play in Denver at the Black Box. Um, on New Year's Eve, we play in Philly. These two play in Philly. And I will be going to New Zealand to play a festival. Um, and then I'll be staying there for a month, playing some shows, and then playing some shows in Australia while these guys play at home here in the States. Or sleep. I will not be sleeping very much for that period of time. Uh, January, I know we have Boise, Idaho, and North Warehouse, Portland to support Boogie T. And then I don't know how much after that is, uh, is announced yet. So, yeah, but we're working on next year's stuff as we speak. Go check out Turny and Sound. These guys are doing a lot of stuff. Um, thank you guys again for coming out. This was sick. Really appreciate it. All right, guys, I hope you got something out of this. I hope you got educated. We'll catch you next time.
Sweet. 